Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Welcome to the table. If this is your first time here, we're glad that you're with us. We'd ask that you'd see someone at the welcome desk or fill out one of the connect cards that should be uh, at the back on the boxes there just so that we can try to get connected to you and uh, get to know you. Um, One thing I want to add as far as announcements is those of you who smoke, we would ask that you smoke over to this side of the building so that those who don't smoke don't have to be crop dusted by your Virginia Slims and Lucky Strikes or triggered by your pina colada smelling vape clouds that get blown in people's faces as they're walking their children. And I had three recovery centers call me this past week with multiple relapses because they smelt vape clouds that reminded them of things they shouldn't be reminded of, right? So that's me being a little funny. The 830 group's always a tough crowd. But anyways, we would ask that anybody who smokes, please just smoke over to the side and consider uh, others who are coming in uh, to worship the Lord. Also, um, you know, if I know some of you go back and forth between services, so just because you're here, I want to bring this up. But uh, if you were to go to the 1045 and you were to take your kids to the child care, please, as soon as the service is over, before you hang out and tell a bunch of fibs about how many fish you caught or didn't catch or yada, 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 go get your kids first. Y'all might not believe this. We love them. They're beautiful little munchkins. But after about an hour of being in there, they're like gremlins, right? Like, like go from fuzzy, cute to just, yeah, right? So make sure you do that, right? All right, I'm going to pray. Father, we give thanks for this day. We give, uh, obviously, I need to pray for uh, better humor. Um, Lord, I ask that everybody here this morning's ears and eyes and hearts can be open to the truth that you have for us. Uh, Lord, this is not easy what we're going to talk about this morning. So I'm asking you go before me to help us hear what it is that's going to be said. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so you guys probably noticed that we did do announcements differently this morning for a few reasons, but the main reason is so that we can communicate those few important things very clearly because communication is very important and believe it or not I'm a horrible communicator right like who asked this guy to be a preacher he is horrible at communicating and mainly because I'm I'm not I'm just not a detail guy at all and oftentimes that causes me all kinds of problems. If you don't believe me, you can just ask my wife or you could ask the leadership here at Matthew's table. But my wife in particular, she loves details. So for example, yesterday I performed a wedding ceremony of some people here. And after that, we went to the reception and they had some brisket that I was told was from Kansas City. And I was like, I mean, I was there licking fingers and eating. It was probably the best meat I ever had. And last night we go out on a date and I was telling my wife about how awesome this brisket was from Kansas City. And her question was, well, who come from Kansas City? And I just sit there. I was like, gosh, dang, I don't know. 
I don't even think to, I don't care. Like the meat is so good, I could care who, I could care less who brought the meat. But, but that's how different we are. Like she thinks that way and I don't. I could give you tons of examples, but it really makes it difficult for us to communicate because as soon as she asks that question, I feel like I'm failing her by not being able to answer it, right? And so our communication can be very different. And oftentimes it's almost like we speak two different languages, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Rush Hour, but Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker's a, a cop, I think, from LA, I don't remember, but he gets assigned to an Asian officer who's flying in, and, um, and this is what always comes to my mind. We have a video. I think they're going to try to play it. I think about this a lot as Jackie Chan stands there smiling, right? Like, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like, you're obviously not understanding what I'm trying to say, right? And in the same way, many other relationships of my own, uh, as well as some of your all's and marriages, communication can always be a major problem, Last week, we continued our walk through the Sermon on the Mount so that we can understand what a true disciple should look like. And I pointed out how oftentimes we fail to read instructions carefully, which, by the way, the Bible are, is the Christian's instructions, right? And uh, which gives a decent explanation as to why the Bible says one thing, but you see something totally different within the Christian community. Get on Facebook for five minutes and you'll see every Christian on there posting some mean meme with a hidden agenda trying to correct another Christian, right? Like, it's like, what happened to unity and peacemaker and, and merciful and forgiving, right? Uh, but that, so, and, but by not reading instructions and understanding instructions, oftentimes these Christians don't understand what a Christian being a Christian really even means. And this morning is part two of reading the instructions on how to be a true disciple. That's where we're at in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the three how-tos, how to give, how to pray, and how to fast. And we're continuing to correct our misunderstanding of the Lord's Prayer. For example, if you weren't here last week, this isn't the Lord's Prayer. But rather, it's the disciples' prayer where he's teaching us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. And the disciples' prayer is a guide or a pattern on how to pray, not what to say. It's not something we just regurgitate that's meaningless and not helpful Right, And I'm going to be honest with you this morning as I've studied the remaining verses in this prayer, preparing for this morning, uh, reminding myself that this is the guide, the pattern that the Lord Jesus himself has given us. It's had me wondering if there's been a failure to communicate because there's a serious breakdown within the Christian community in light of our passage this morning. It's like that video. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Someone somewhere down the line has left out the details on how a, a true disciple should live their life. 
So I dug a little deeper considering all possibilities. Like maybe this is a translation problem. So I looked through all the translations only to find this isn't a translation issue at all. It's a transformation issue. We don't need Rosetta Stone to understand what Jesus is asking of us. We need to remove our heart of stone so that we can comply to these things. This isn't a connection problem with low signal strength. It's a correction problem where we need to remove the language barrier. Let's look to the words so that we can learn what that language barrier is. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. You can follow along on the screen or I'm going to read it to you now. Verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. And so for quick review in part one of last week's study of this passage here where we went from verse 5 to 13, we learned that this prayer is a guide on how to pray for the Christian. And the first couple verses that we covered last week summarize a true disciple in right relationship recognizes God as the father of his children whose name, hallowed be thy name, is to be revered because his name is, is to be respected. It's to be sacred because it's holy. And a true disciple is then concerned with God's will, his kingdom come, not ours, be done on earth as in heaven. Being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So this prayer that we're walking through, the first half is God-centered, and the latter half is personal request on our behalfs. Now, in all fairness, I'll give the church credit on the first half as far as being God-centered, recognizing that he's God by way of calling on him and giving thanks before we eat and for the many blessings that we have and the privileges that he affords us, and then asking him to make ways for his will to be done. But it's the second part that seems to be grossly miscommunicated among Christians and needs to be corrected because what Jesus teaches in this passage on how to pray or how we are to petition God on our behalf for ourselves seems to be more American than Christian in the church today. And so opposite to my nature of communicating poorly, I hope to translate clearly with details this morning to remove any confusion as to what a true disciple should not only pray for, but look like by walking through the remaining verses. So picking up where we left off last week, let's start with verse 11. 
Jesus is teaching us to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want to put this into perspective so that we can accurately understand why Jesus says that we should pray this way because it, it would still apply to us today. So remember, he's teaching his disciples, just common, uneducated men. But they were from the Hebrew people whose Bible was only the Old Testament. And so they had been taught all their lives. They grew up listening to the account of God rescuing their people from slavery in Egypt. And shortly after God splits the Red Sea, the Hebrews begin traveling towards the promise promised land. And along the way, they get hungry due to a lack of food. So they began to grumble about how they should have never left Egypt or, or been delivered from slavery due to having plenty to eat there, etc. And so Moses intervenes on their behalf and asks God to provide them food where there was no food and God does just that. Each day, manna came down from heaven and would come as a portion for their daily need that would spoil or go bad if saved for the next day. So come the next morning, it would be bad if they didn't eat what they needed that day. So when Jesus teaches these guys, these disciples, to only be concerned about their daily bread, it's this story that comes to mind for them and should be for us. But that's not what we do, is it? A true disciple is content with their daily needs, but an American disciple is concerned about their daily greeds. The book we've been reading, uh, hoping, hopefully you've been reading along with us, talks about living in the land of plenty, America, and how we worry more today about obesity than we do being hungry. We hope to which causes us to hope to keep up with the Joneses. So we take on extra jobs and we work overtime. We get credit cards to go in debt so that we have an abundance of everything that we don't. Hey, look, you know why they keep building storage sheds? And while living in the richest country in the world, we cry out, God bless America. The American dream has become quite the nightmare for the church because it's taken our eyes off what's important to the extent of the church now preaches a false gospel. You've heard of the prosperity gospel. It's this idea that if you're a Christian, God wants you to, to make you rich because being rich would make you happy. It's health, wealth, it's Cadillac and condos. Financial prosperity is under the prosperity gospel is a sign of your Christian maturity or salvation. It's evidence that you're, no, you're not sinning as opposed to what Jesus has been teaching us in the Beatitudes, spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, being true Christian prosperity. 
Now, before you go putting words in my mouth, I'm not saying having nice things is wrong or even being rich. But what I am saying is if this becomes the Christian's priority, then it's American, not Christian at all. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. We always pick on the rich folks in the Christian community, right? But the, but the word says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me unless I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Unless I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The single greatest point about give us our, this day our daily bread that needs to be made here is Jesus says give us us our daily bread not me it's it's how we continue to stay kingdom minded focused on his will being done the disciples prayer is a family prayer not me's and mine's but us our daily bread and Jesus does that because he knows for our own good, we're to only be concerned for our daily need. He says, this day. Don't worry, we'll get into worrying about tomorrow and later on in this same paragraph. But don't, you need to worry about today and what you need for today. Because anything less or anything more than that leads us to sin. It's funny because both ends of it causes us to sin. We either won't work at all or We'll start working too much. And the lesson here is that being content in his provision is what allows us to have the most joy. Trusting him to provide every day. Believing that he will like he did for the Hebrews. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here we see Jesus makes it a point to put us in our rightful place by reminding us that we should seek forgiveness for our sins because, well, why would he ask us to do that? Unless we're all sinners in need of his grace and mercy daily. It's another reason this isn't the Lord's prayer because he was sinless. He was the spotless lamb who took away the sins of the world. He knew no sin but became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So regardless of what some might say, we are sinners in need of his forgiveness daily. To say we go without sin is to say that we are equal to God. Yet our culture continues to see a problem with being called a sinner as if it's offensive or derogatory, right? And what I want to share with you guys this morning or call your attention to is that history has a way of repeating itself. And we need to wake up as the church and see how that's unfolding right here in our own lifetime, in our own country, in America with a decline in morality, right? The church needs to quit affirming culture's demand to redefine God's created order, specifically specifically the family unit, and allow them to identify however they feel like. 
Read Romans 1 and 2. Maybe some of you have heard of the Roman um, nation at one time. It was the, one of the greatest nations that ever existed. Well, guess what? There's no longer the Romans, right? Now, there's some that live in Rome, obviously, but they don't, they don't run the majority of the world. And if you read Romans chapter 1 and 2, it clearly gives you this sequence of decline and how a nation starts out powerful and then always crumbles. It's where mankind denies God, suppresses the truth, and worships creation over the Creator. And then God gives us over to our way and our God-given desire desires and pleasures become perverted so that perversions become normal in society. I read an article the other day of a New York parent that was suing New York or uh, um, having a legal dispute with uh, New York's leadership because they wanted to be able to marry their own child. It's a slippery slope, Right? It's, guys, it's, it's started. It's here in America. And, um, and God eventually will deal with us in a very horrible way. Marry their own child. And you might think that some of the things I just said sounds judgmental or unloving, that Christianity should just affirm everybody and love wins. But I disagree because I gladly call myself the chief of all sinners in desperate need of the Savior because left to myself, I would be hellbound. period. And I've proven that. So we are to call on the Lord and ask him to forgive us our sins because we're sinners who sin daily. Verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I must admit that I can understand how this one can easily be confused because I've often wondered why we would pray this way. Like, why would God lead us into temptation when the Bible says in the book of James that God doesn't tempt us? It's our desires and we could do a whole sermon on this because it's worthy to understand how sin manifests itself in our lives, but we don't have the time. So just to keep it simple, what Jesus means by this is that by recognizing we are sinners, that's what we just dealt with, in need of his grace and mercy, we also understand that we are weak and prone to stray and fail when temptation presents itself. And so to admit that is allowing for humility to be the attitude necessary to stay on track with God. You want to do God's will, remind yourself of who you are in relation to him. You're a sinner in desperate need of him saving you, and that's humility, right? Pride comes before the fall. And so a true disciple has no desire to be led into temptation, even though they are designed, temptations are designed for our own good to help us grow. I love his quote, Martin Luther. He's the reason you all are sitting in this sanctuary this morning, as opposed to St. Stephen's or whichever one it is right down the road. He was the great reformer, right? This is what he once said. He was quoted saying, my temptations have been my masters in divinity. That hit home for me. 
Because most of you know I haven't been to seminary and I haven't been to Bible college. But I have mastered relying on the grace needed from a loving Savior in trying times who strategically orchestrated my entire life to endure many pains and hardships. For example, my father abandoned me. I grew up fatherless. Obviously, growing up fatherless, I come from a broken home. Parents divorced, sexually abused at age five. Soon after, living a long life of addiction, and with that comes many dysfunctional lifestyles, bad decisions, uh, which, which comes with that is doing time in and out of jails and eventually landing in prison. Dealing with an unfaithful wife for over 15 years, only to be saved called to do ministry and deserted by the same woman as Christians, losing my family again because I refused to compromise my sobriety and my ministry, shunned, disowned by longtime Christian friends, causing deep wounds of betrayal and abandonment that would resurface, all which made me stronger today and effective in ministry, relating to many different people in different ways because I minister from a place, not a point of reference, not a book that you're asked to read, but experience. But to say that I want to go through that again would be a lie. So I know my role and I ask God to not lead me down that road again so that I never fail him again. And despite what American Christianity tells you about speaking or thinking your way out of divine appointments and arrangements, I suggest not attempting to be God, but rather beat your chest and beg for his help in all things. And so that when Jesus says deliver us from evil, it's simply our plea to God to rescue us from all of the schemes that are meant for our demise. Guys, evil is coming your way if you are a Christian. <laughs> you want to know why Christians fail? You ever ask yourself, well, I thought all Christians were supposed to be perfect. I don't understand now. Now that they're a Christian, why do they continue to make a mistake here and there? It's because somewhere along the way, that Christian, including me at one time, believed they were bigger than their own struggles and not relying on God to help them. They forget that they're one decision away from being back to where or what God delivered them from. A true disciple knows not to put themselves in a compromising position because the flesh is weak and we have an enemy that prowls around like a lion waiting to devour us. Jesus calls us sheep because we can easily be distracted. And I don't understand why people, why Christians have an issue with being considered meek or weak when Paul says, when I am weak, God is strong. Verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, if the previous verses weren't 
uh, obviously questionable. Like, Roger, I've seen some Christians. They're not, they're not humble at all. They're, they're definitely, some of them don't even work. Some of them work so much they don't even make time for God or their family. So uh, there's some miscommunication taking place, right? There's, there's things to bring into question with what you've taught so far. But these two verses have to cause you confusion, right? Be, what, and, and before we deal with that, I want to talk about this. At first glance, it reads as if we could lose our forgiveness from God. So let's clear that up real quick because that could be easily misunderstood, causing us all kinds of problems. The Bible says there's one unforgivable sin, one, and that's denying the free gift of salvation found in Christ Jesus. Well, Roger, you know, I just feel like, uh, you know, the atheists have a really good argument. I'm just going to continue to do things my way. I just, you know, this whole Jesus thing, I, I'm just not cool with it, you know, but mainly because I'm really cool, right? Like, no, you're not. That's the only one unforgivable sin, right? So then what's he mean then? Heck, I'm confused when I watch other Christians because I see them all the time withholding forgiveness from others, so maybe Jesus wasn't clear here, right? Like maybe that's why, maybe the translations uh, have, have caused confusion. Maybe there, there's been some way of, maybe it's a different language to which I would agree and say amen. So let's look at the whole word, and I'm only going to use two other verses quickly to verify. That's what you do with scripture. If you come across one verse and you're like, it doesn't, seem, doesn't make sense, you don't make a whole theology on one verse, okay? You look at the whole Bible, it's one consistent story being told, and you see where other verses in the Bible relating to the same topic, what they have to say, okay? So Ephesians 4, 32, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, okay? What about Colossians 3, verse 13? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Must forgive. That's heavy, right? So what we can do is look at some of those scriptures there and realize, hey, forgiveness is not optional as a Christian. Rather, it's our primary spiritual need. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. So listen, getting rid of all sin isn't the solution, right? Hey, we should stand up and speak out against racism and abortion and gossip and all these things. And as much as I say amen and agree with you and, and, and be willing to, 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 to kneel down and be on my knees for 24 hours straight, if the Lord willed it, I'm telling you it wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. And that's why we must be forgiving our daily bread was physical, and now he turns to the spiritual primary need, which is where he's going with this. Because we're all sinners, we covered that already, and our spiritual maturity or growth can be directly tied to our willingness to forgive others. It's another sign of humility recognizing that we've offended God with our sin that's far greater than any offense someone else may do to us. 
John Stott says it this way. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us are petty by comparison. If on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves we've minimized our own. So it's not the magnitude of the sin against you. It's the reality of you playing God and not freely giving to others what has been freely given to us. I'll read a parable real quick in Matthew chapter 18. We didn't put it on the screen because it's kind of long and I'm going to read it kind of fast just so, but it really uh, uh, adds um, weight to what I've been saying, and I want you to hear these words. Then Peter approached him and asked Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Question mark. Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his, ma his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay me what you owe me. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had money or had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything back he owed. He's emphasizing, guys. I mean, all of this right here is about forgiveness and, and how we, we too are supposed to forgive one another. He's emphasizing the greatest witness of your Christian walk. He's, he's emphasizing the greatest demonstration of God being alive within you. And I want you to think about that for a moment because God in all of his infinite wisdom and knowledge sitting on his throne looks down at earth and sees all of us choosing, to, choosing sin over him day in and day out and he comes to a decision that would make a way for us to know him in a personal, intimate way. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to demand that they pay me what they owe me. I'm going to go pay the debt for them. I'm going to forgive them so they can know and be with me. You 
to know how, how well? You want to know how, uh, how much you know God? There's a newsflash. It's not your scripture memorization. It's not your seminary degree. It's not your claimed to be spiritual gifts or your seniority within the church, but rather your willingness to emulate the same forgiveness that God has granted you in Christ Jesus. And I got a bone to pick with the church. I've heard a question asked before that surfaced in this, of all places, this church. What's he doing here? What? Hey, I noticed so-and-so came to church Sunday. What are they doing here? Let me help you guys with something. What are you doing here? Why in the world am I even here? Right? Removing yourself from a difficult situation or distancing yourself from other people who's wronged you is not forgiveness, it's forsaking. And in the same way Jackie Chan knew what Chris Tucker was saying the whole time, we as Christians know very well what Jesus means here. And so what we learned this morning is that the language barrier isn't from the word that's spoken, but from a heart that's been broken. Because I'm not throwing stones here. I've had many wrestling matches spiritually with unforgiveness myself, only to realize withholding forgiveness was not my solution because it kept me imprisoned. I was bitter and angry and ugly. To be honest, I was a fake. So the question becomes, how can I do this though, Roger? Why is it something I just can't seem to let go of? To which I would say, speaking from experience, has been a matter of me failing to remember how precious it was to be forgiven by God. Right? Jesus says, it won't cost you nothing to forgive someone like it did for me to bring about your forgiveness. It won't cost you nothing, but it'll gain you everything entrance into the kingdom. Guys, if I could, it, I've prayed that somebody this morning would recognize maybe for the first time. See, we like this. God's forgive. Hey, you can't judge me. God forgave me. Don't bring up my past, right? You see all them things on faith. Don't bring up my past. I don't live there anymore. We like this. This is the problem which creates a language barrier. And what I'm trying to communicate clearly to you this morning, in the same way God forgave us when we didn't deserve it, we're to forgive others that don't deserve it. And by doing so, death becomes life. Yes. A right relationship with me, Jesus, and allows others to see the tangible evidence of, of Jesus working in our life. All he's asking from us is to become willing to do the same thing he's done for us. Willing. He can't take away our salvation, but it can be hindered if we refuse to become willing to do so. Listen, guys, here's the deal. To speak God's language, you must be willing to forgive. That's the language right there. You, you, you want somebody to know and see Christ in a way that they never have? Forgive somebody that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. 
find it hard to do, you must become willing to ask him to help you. So we close this morning trying to digest some very difficult things. Maybe one or more, one or more of these things that I've mentioned this morning has been a source of tension for you. And all I want to do is ask that we correct and connect, calling out to the Father, asking that money or lack of not become a source of sin in our lives, that we always remember that we are sinners saved by grace who are weak apart from him and pleading that he rescue us from any evil that will be coming our way and help us, Lord, forgive those who harm or wrong us so that we can continue to walk in the forgiveness that he's provided us. I know unforgiveness very well, guys. It's been a friend of mine for the majority of my life. And I'm going to walk away from this stage this morning. I'm going to I'm going to walk away from this altar trusting that God's leading many of you here to seek the help necessary to remove the language barrier that's in your heart called unforgiveness. May the Lord do with you what the Holy Spirit chooses to. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.